Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Jude, the book of Jude in the New Testament. Uh, while you're finding the book of Jude, uh, my name's Byron. It's uh, my privilege to be the pastor at, of the congregation known as Grace Baptist Church. Uh, we meet here in the mornings, and uh, it's really a privilege and an honor to be part of a kingdom partnership with a congregation like the Ring. Uh, I've known Josh and, and some of you, uh, we've known each other since our college days, and uh, if you won't tell any stories on me, I won't tell any stories uh, on you. And we'll both celebrate the grace and goodness of God in growing us um, since our college days. When Josh asked if I would uh, preach to you tonight, I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, not because I want to preach uh, all the time, but because it was an opportunity for me to serve Josh and also to serve the flock that he oversees, along with the other elders. And I have no idea uh, where you are as a congregation necessarily, uh, but God has laid this message on my heart for you. Uh, you can receive it, and uh, if there's any problems with what we study in the Scriptures tonight, you can take it up with management. I'm just in sales. Uh, but I'm, I'm uh, here to to uh, shepherd you through the word and looking at the book of Jude this is a letter that's written to a congregation uh, we don't know much about it but it's a letter that's written with a sense of urgency by the guy Jude uh, Jude his name was most likely Judas but if you're familiar with Bible times you know that Judas doesn't really carry a positive connotation and so he probably didn't want to be known as Judas in case he was mistaken with Judas Iscariot, the one who uh, betrayed Jesus. And um, so Judas went to Jude. He's most likely the half-brother of Jesus. He's not known as an apostle, not one of the twelve uh, disciples, because he most likely came to faith after the resurrection. And that's uh, probably found in the book of John and the book of Acts. Uh, look with me in the first verse. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And he gives his audience to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Tonight we're going to walk through uh, all 25 verses. And uh, it'll, we'll, we'll be reasonable. I'll respect your time. Uh, but there are three uh, points, like most sermons, right? It's always three. Uh, one is uh, warnings from the past. The second is warnings from the present. And the third is a future hope, hope for the future. You guys have been an established congregation uh, much longer than uh, the flock that God's put me over, Grace Baptist. In fact, today, I just became a member of Grace Baptist Church. And I, I'm the pastor. I've been there over a year. And I, I just became a member. You guys have been together a little longer than ours. And as I mentioned, I don't know where you've been the last few years, but this is a letter of warning. It's a warning to a congregation to be aware of not just false teachers, but of people that have infiltrated the congregation. People who on the outside may look like they're welcome, who may look like they're supposed to be here, but on the inside... They exist to do nothing more than destroy the work of Christ. 
As we walk through this book, let's ask ourselves, Lord, am I one of these people or am I one of yours? And at the end, there's hope for the future. But first, let's look at the warnings uh, from the past. Look at verse 3 to 11. Dear friends, dear Christians, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered once and for all to the saints. For certain men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly. They've turned the grace of our God into promiscuity, and they've denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So the purpose of Jude is to preserve, to contend for the faith that was delivered once for all. This is the picture of handing off the gospel. Uh, Christ commands his disciples in Matthew 28 to do what? To make disciples of every ethnic group in your city and the nation, in, in the world. Make disciples of every ethnic group. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, what's the instruction Paul gives to Timothy? Entrust these things, the gospel, to faithful people who will then teach others. Okay, there's four generations of disciple makers right there. Paul telling Timothy, entrust these things to faithful people who will make disciples. Four generations of disciple makers there. And then here we see in Jude, he's writing to fight for the gospel that was delivered to Christians once and for all. That gospel that's been handed over. So what do we learn? Warnings from the past. Look in verse 5. I want to remind you, even though you know these things, the Lord, having first of all saved a people out of Egypt, he later destroyed those who did not believe. And he has kept with eternal chains in darkness for the judgment of the great day angels who did not keep their own position but deserted their proper dwelling. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions just as they did, and they serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So what warnings do we have from the past? Well, here's the big picture. God wins, always. First we see seeing is not believing. Uh, in verse 5, the people that God took out of Egypt, these are the ones where Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Moses tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let God's people go. God provides for these people uh, through, through plagues. They see all this work of God. God leads them out of Egypt. He brings them to the Red Sea. What happens there? The waters open up. God's people walk through. They get into the wilderness. What do they do? They complain. Man, there's no fruit or meat out here. We should have gone back to Egypt. We should have remained slaves. God provides manna for them. Their shoes don't wear out. For, for years and years, their clothes are the same. But what does God do? He destroyed those who did not believe. Seeing is not believing. Faith is believing. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. Faith is being certain of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things that we don't see. We see another warning. Pride has a price. The angels... Uh, that uh, left heaven and came to earth to do things that they were not created to do. Genesis 6 talks about that. 
And we see in verse 7 that uh, the, even people who pose, they're not spared. The cities near Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities around them, they were violating God's design, and they undergo the punishment of eternal fire. So we see these three actions of God. At the end of verse 5, God destroyed those who don't believe. Sort of at the beginning of verse 6, uh, the heavenly beings who didn't keep their own position but deserted what they were, where they were supposed to be, they're kept eternally in chains, in darkness, waiting for the day of judgment. And then at the end of verse 7, uh, the people who violated God's design, they underwent the punishment of eternal fire, where not only God brings down fire to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is located near the Dead Sea uh, in Israel, um, but it's also symbolic of the punishment of those who violate God's design, those who live in, in rebellion to God's ways. And this is not just sexuality. This is with everything. Sodom, Ezekiel says that Sodom was known for not taking care of the poor. That it was known as a city that was very wealthy. A lot of food, a lot of money. Yet people in the city would starve. Such people will be punished. Eternal damnation. And even in light of these warnings from the history, I think it was George Bernard Shaw, he said, we learn from history that we learn nothing from history. You get it? We learn from history that we learn nothing from history. And there's another guy who, who says, a nation that forgets its history is what? Doomed to repeat it. And that's the Jude's idea here at the beginning of verse 8. Nevertheless, never mind what God's done in the past, these people that have infiltrated the congregation, they continue to defile their flesh. They despise authority and they blaspheme glorious beings. So here we see that there is no regard for other people. So these people that will infiltrate the congregation, number one, they forget that God always wins. Second, they have no regard for other people. We see that uh, in verse 9. There, there's no honor or respect given to authority. In verse 9, Michael the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body. I'm going to leave that for Josh to unpack for you. Michael did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against the devil, but instead said, the Lord rebuke you. So you get the picture? Do you ever... Uh, you ever hear people say, you know, Satan, I rebuke you. Such people, the scripture says, have no idea what they're talking about. Here the scripture says, even Michael, the archangel, doesn't even say, I rebuke you, but instead says, the Lord rebuke you. There is a respect for spiritual authority. Look in verse 10. These people, they blaspheme anything they don't understand and what they know by instinct like unreasonable animals they destroy themselves with these things woe unto them for they have traveled in the way of Cain they've abandoned themselves to the era of Balaam for profit and have perished in Korah's rebellion so having no regard for others means one there's no regard for man the way of Cain what happened with Cain he's murdered by his brother I'm sorry. Cain murders his brother Abel. The scripture says, 
To Cain, God says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, ready to devour you. But Cain, having no regard for his brother, murders his brother. So these that will infiltrate the congregation, they have no regard for humanity. They have no regard for righteousness. The era of Balaam, you can read more about it in Numbers chapter 21. Basically, this was a prophet of God who um, violated God's standard of righteousness to get money. So there is no regard for righteousness. And finally, there's no regard for God. The people who perished in Korah's rebellion, uh, Korah was, uh, he and some of uh, his guys despised the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Well, Moses was the man that God put in place to lead. Korah and his buddies rebelled against God's spiritual leader, and they died. So these people will have no regard for humanity, no regard for God's righteousness, and no regard for God's authority. Now what about uh, warnings for the present? So that's all a story of the past. Jude is saying, I want to remind you of things you already know. God always wins. No one can conquer God. God's glory will always be maintained. God's standard will always be maintained. And no matter how slick we think we can be, no matter how deceptive we might be with ourselves or with others, the Spirit of Christ will always reveal. Jesus said, Light appears and those who are in the darkness can't stand it. They scatter like cockroaches. It's like when you flip on the kitchen light. The roaches scatter. Maybe that's just my house. So the light of Christ does to the darkness of sin. What about warnings in the present time? What are these deceivers who have infiltrated the congregation? What are they like? Well, in verse 12, these are the ones who are like dangerous reefs at your love feast. What does the SV say? These are hidden reefs at your love feast. Anybody want to take a shot of what that means? What's a reef? Any marine biologists? Okay, we kind of know what a reef is, right? It's underwater. Sometimes it's seen, sometimes it's not. It's very dangerous to boats. Uh, Where I think today is the 100th anniversary of Titanic sinking. Uh, an iceberg, as, as we know now, uh, not all of it appears above water. Most of it appears below water. These deceivers are like dangerous reefs at your love feast. You don't really see them, and you don't really notice them until after the damage has been done. The love feast is, was the, the time when the Eucharist would, would be taken, the Lord's Supper, the supper table. Um, some churches have relegated this love feast to a, to a thimble of juice and a kind of wafer that no one really knows what it's made of. Uh, but the, these people at, at the love feast, when communion was taken, they feast with you, nurturing only themselves, and they have no reverence. What's the warning for us presently? The warning is, don't be useless to your community of faith. If you're a covenant member of the ring, don't be useless to your community of faith. People are counting on you. 
You've made a covenant. You've made a vow with one another that not only will you bear and share your burdens with one another, but you've made a commitment that you will uphold the Father's honor and you will live for the health of your brother and sister. People are counting on you. And then beyond the ring, congregations like Grace Baptist, we're counting on you. All the congregations around the world, we're counting on you. We're counting on you that we can tell our unbelieving friends and family, consider this congregation, look how healthy they are, this group of people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Well, how can we be useless to our community of faith? Well, here's how Jude describes it. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds. They're trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, pulled out by the roots. They're like wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds. They're like wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. How can we not be useless to our community of faith? Be sincere. When somebody comes up to you when you walk in, and they say, hey, how are you doing? If you're not fine, don't say fine. Just say, I'm not having a great day. I don't feel like being here. Or, we just got in a fight on the way over here. Yeah, welcome to most families on Sundays. Let's be sincere. There's no reason to, to fake it till we make it. That's one of the silliest things I've ever heard in a church. Let's be sincere. Don't be like a hidden reef at, at the love feast. When you gather at, at, at your family meetings, when you gather to take communion, be sincere. Don't let any root of bitterness start to build in your heart. It's going to come out. You can either address it right there, or you can just harbor it and just let it build up, and it's going to come out. But it'll come out not on your volition, but it'll come out in just a moment of weakness. And then you'll have a lot more mess to clean up, and it'll be way more awkward than when if you'd have just dealt with it at the beginning. Say, hey... Because I'm selfish, I'm prone to be easily offended. And when you said X, it, it offended me. The other person might say, you know, because I'm selfish, I'm prone to easily offend. And that's why I said X. It will help foster community. Be sincere. This phrase, they nurture only themselves at the feast. You know what it means? It means they take only for themselves. You've seen it at the all-you-can-eat buffet, right? Take all you want, but eat all you take. When you come to the table, give as much as you take. Don't just gather on Sunday nights of what's in it for you, the consumer. What can these people give me? That's the greatest way to devalue another human, is to greet them and then ask, Hey, what value do you have in my life? Can you land me a promotion at work? Are you able to hook me up with some tickets to the game? No? Well, let me fly and find the next guy. Give as much as we take. Yes, we should expect others to, to receive from us. Just like they should expect us to receive from them. I think it's even in your covenant. 
Covenant members, you've agreed to invest into the lives of others and open up your life to let others invest into you. Bring something to the table. Don't be a waterless cloud. That's a sign of disappointment. When we need rain and we see a cloud coming, yes, we're going to get some rain. And it just kind of passes by, no rain. Or to be a tree that has no fruit. What did Jesus do to the fig tree that didn't have any fruit? He destroyed it. The scripture says, any tree that's supposed to bear fruit that is not bearing fruit, it's useful for one thing, firewood. That's both a physical and a spiritual implication. So Christian, let's bring something to the table. Let's give as much as we take. Let's be sincere. Let's be useful to our community of faith. Look how Jude, he uh, quotes Enoch. And I'll leave that for Josh as well. He's really going to appreciate this sermon. Verse 14, And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, he prophesied about these kinds of people. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones. To do what? To execute judgment on all. And to convict them of their ungodly deeds that they have done in an ungodly way. And to convict them of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. This quote from Enoch, just by way, for those of you who are like, what, where in the world is Enoch? It's not in the table of contents. Uh, it's not. But we don't need to be freaked out by uh, something quoted in Scripture that we don't have the full book of. Paul does it numerous times. There are other parts of Scripture uh, where there's just a line that's taken out from another whole work. But the important thing here is that this quote doesn't teach us anything new. It's just a vivid picture of what the Bible teaches repeatedly, that God will win always. His holiness will always triumph. Let's look at some more of this uh, present warning. Verse 16, these kind of people, they're discontented grumblers. They walk or live life according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words. And they flatter people for their own advantage. We already talked about valuing others. But you, dear friends, but you, the one that I am writing to contend for the faith that was handed down once and for all, but you, professed follower of Christ, remember the words foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus. They said... Look, at the end time, they're going to be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions. They're natural. They don't have the spirit. They're not supernatural. Listen to this quote from a famous preacher named Charles Spurgeon. He said about these kind of people. He says, you know the sort of people alluded to here. Nothing ever satisfies them. They are discontented even with the gospel, the bread of heaven must be cut up into three nice pieces and served on a dainty napkin, or else they cannot eat it. And very soon, their soul even hates this light bread. There is no way by which a Christian man can serve God so as to please these kind of people. They will pick holes in every preacher's coat 
And if the great high priest himself were to be here, they would find fault with the color of the stones in his breastplate. So the picture that Spurgeon paints of these people is that they'll never be satisfied. Even if Jesus himself were here, as the great high priest wearing his, his high priest's uniform, which had all kinds of precious jewels on the front, Spurgeon says even these people would ask Jesus why he picked that color stone to be on the breastplate. Do you know people like this? Are you like this? Are you that guy? Are you that girl? So what hope do we have for the future? Well, the hope we have for the future is found in verse 1 and then in verses 20 through 25. And as I was preparing, I knew that the challenge would be not to focus so much on the negative as the positive. But as I was studying this book, there's probably a reason Jude focuses so much on past warnings and present warnings. It's because we're prone, 2,000 years later, we're prone to fall into the same categories. Do you remember the day that you were born again? Do you remember when you were transferred from spiritual darkness and brought into His marvelous light? Do you remember the day when you experienced the guilt of your sin just being lifted off? Do you remember the day maybe when you were baptized, identifying with the followers of Jesus and coming up in those waters and it being symbolic of you being washed, the sin being washed away, dying with Him in baptism and being raised to walk in newness of life. Do you remember those days? Do you remember the time when God provided in a very dark hour in your life? Do you remember the, the prayers that were answered in, in ways that you hoped would be answered? Do you remember the people that would come around you and support you and walk alongside you? Just like your covenant says, we will walk with each other in every season of life no matter what struggles or victories come our way. Do you remember those moments? Those are the same memories that Jude reminds his readers of way in the past. Remember, God delivered you from Egypt. But there were those who did not believe God destroyed them. Do you remember the reverence that maybe you once had for Christ? But now the holy has become very familiar, maybe too familiar we see some of the song lyrics up there and we just roll our eyes. Not this one again. The one that talks about Jesus being king of glory. Oh, not this one again about his love is deep. Oh, not this one again about the majesty of Christ. If we find ourselves in that position, what hope do we have? Look at verse 1. To those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God, you've been called, not because God has just called your name, but called is a description. It's a way to describe somebody who is loved by God the Father and who is kept by Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, He didn't ask the Father, if I die for them, then will you love them? No. Because the Father loved His children he sent His Son to pay the penalty for their sin. 
You are loved by God the Father, Christian. Your hope is in His love. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to uh, continue to work for His approval. You're loved by the Father. And you're, you're kept by Jesus Messiah. Jesus said in His prayer that all that you've given me, Father, none have escaped. None will I let go. None can fall out of my hand. That's our hope. That's our assurance. That the God of the universe, the sovereign, He loves His children. And He keeps His children. And that's what makes us called. And Look how the letter ends. Some practical steps. Hoping, hope for the future. We're called. But you, dear friends, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. I love that this does not say you've built yourselves up in your holy faith and you have prayed in the Holy Spirit. This is an active, ongoing action. You're building yourselves up in the most holy faith, and you are praying in the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says that, that we're like a body being brought together, that we're being conformed into the image of God, and we're being conformed into the image of God's Son, and that He has given people different gifts in the body to work together so that we can grow into full maturity. Keep yourselves, verse 21, in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. The only hope you and I have when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ is Christ. That's the only hope we have. Remember the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee? Let's remove the labels. Here's a guy who's known as the scum of the earth. He comes in to the building to pray. Here's the guy who's the religious authority. He comes to pray. The guy who's known as the scum of the earth, he bows very low and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The religious leader comes in and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. I've kept your word. I've been faithful to my wife. I don't uh, steal from anybody. I'm a good businessman. I've got great ethics. People like me. Jesus said, as both men left, which one went away accepted by God? The one who said, I have nothing to offer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. God is not impressed with our good works. God's not impressed with our ethics. He's not impressed with how faithful we are to our spouse. The only hope every man, woman, boy, and girl has to see heaven is to say, have mercy upon me, a sinner. All I have is Christ. All I have is you, Jesus. Is that enough? And of course, the scripture says, it is enough. Build ourselves in our faith. We're praying in the Spirit. We're keeping ourselves in the love of God. We're expecting the mercy of Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. That is our only hope. 
Now verse 22, what about others? Have mercy on some who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. On some other people, have mercy in fear, meaning keep a distance when you're having mercy on them, even hating the garment defiled by the flesh. And then this glorious ending. Now to Him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless and with great joy, when you think of standing in the presence of God, what's the emotion for the Christian, for the one who's called For the one loved by God and kept by Christ, that emotion should be anticipation, excitement. There should be uh, exuberance, great joy to say, I can stand in your presence, blameless, not because of who I am, not because of what I can do or have done, but because of who you are. You are love, Father, and you you have poured that love upon me. Jesus, you keep me. You are the great high priest. You are the mediator. You are the one who's paid the penalty for my sin. You were without sin, but you became sin on my behalf. We can stand in the presence of God, blameless, not because of what we do, but because of what He's done. And we can stand in His presence with great joy, If the thought of being in the presence of God does not kindle a fire in our hearts, we're on very thin ice. He is able to protect us from stumbling. So when Jesus asks, can you drink the cup that I drink? Are you sure you want to follow me? Are you sure you'll be able to sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me? Are you sure that you'll be able to take up your cross daily and follow me in our modern day vernacular? Are you sure you'll be able to sit in the electric chair and throw the switch every day? Are you sure you can lay down on a gurney and inject yourself with a lethal injection every day? That's how radical that statement was 2,000 years ago to take up your cross Go to the point of execution. Die to self and follow me. When Jesus asks that question, we can say yes, because you will protect me from stumbling and you make me stand in your presence with great joy and you make me blameless, the wretched man and woman that I am. You redeem and you make me a new creation. You take away the bitterness and the anger and the hurt and the guilt and you fill it with peace and love. Joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, there is glory, there is majesty, There is power. There is authority. In the past, in the present, and in the future. As the English translated, before all time 
and now and forever. Amen. This is the word that God impressed upon me to share with the community of faith known as the ring. If there's anything you'd like to talk about, I'm happy to do that after the service. Any questions, comments, or misrepresentations? But I'd like to open the floor now if there are any pressing questions of what we've studied or any items to clarify. All right, great. Let's all repent, live for the glory of God and the good of others. Uh, Cody, why don't you guys come up? I think you've got some songs that will respond to the Lord. And um, as we're responding to the Lord through song, you don't have to fake it. If you find yourself convicted tonight by the Word, and I'm certainly challenged by the Word every time I, I read it, certainly when I preach it, it's never other people in mind so much as myself. As we're responding in song, we can sing in celebration or we can sing in confession. Singing, asking God, let this be in us the same mind that is in Christ. You don't have to leave this room tonight the same way you came in. You can leave with the joy of your salvation being restored. Or you can leave having returned to your first love. Or maybe for somebody here tonight, you can leave knowing Jesus for the first time. You can talk to one of uh, the elders. You can talk to me after the service, and I'd be happy to pray with you. And uh, certainly send Josh uh, your name and ways that he can follow up. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful that through your Holy Spirit you've adopted us as your children, as your sons and daughters. And we're so grateful that you would love us. That you would love us in such a way that you'd send your only child to die for us. God, I thank you for for the depth of your love. I thank you for the security of your promise. And I don't have to work for your love every day. We thank you, Jesus, that you keep us. And you hold us in your hand and that you are living even now. You're sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And we thank you for your spirit that the Father has sent in your name that makes us aware of your presence. That's our counselor. That's our teacher. We thank you for your sweet conviction. And we thank you, oh God, for your kindness that leads us to repentance. We don't want to be religious people. Oh God, we want to be a mighty army a mighty force that you use to reach every ethnic group in Baton Rouge, Ascension, and all over the world. Hear our prayers for Pastor Josh. Refresh him. 
fan the flame in his heart that burns for you and burns for these precious brothers and sisters before me. God, hear our prayers for Megan. Hear our prayers for the elders. Jesus, it's all about you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the great salvation that you've given to us only by your grace. Let's stand together and respond.